right, everybody, welcome back. Today we're talking with uh, Dan Otis, Senior Visual Brand Designer at Aura. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to be slaying the monster known as Stakeholder. Um, mm-hmm. yep. all, when we were at restaurants, um, there's all, and we order a nice <laughs> slice of red meat, there is that person who hangs out in the corner holding the various mm-hmm. slices of steak. One form of a stakeholder. Yeah, no, that is, that is it. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. A very literal form yeah, of yeah, yeah. a stakeholder. But for us, what we're talking about... <laughs> thanks, Brian. Uh, <laughs> so typically we see, as designers, as people in this creative industry, we see the stakeholder as the client. It's that simple in our minds for most, most of the time, especially when we're getting started. Uh, but I think as we progress through our career, we learn that there's a lot more nuance when it comes to who and what the stakeholder is, whether it's a single person, it's a collective of people. Um, and we, I think we even start to learn what our stake is in the game, in the project. Uh, and then I think most importantly, the users, the consumers, the customers, the people who are you know, bumping up against this experience, who are actually using products as a tool, they are ultimately the stakeholder. And even just again, like we, we re- reiterate you know, all the time on this show, the monsters that we're talking about aren't specifically the people. They're not the clients, they're not designers, they're not the customers. Uh, this is like that thing that's hanging over us, affecting the work that we do. And we want to get into it, give these monsters a name if they don't already have one like stakeholder that works really well as a monster name. And we want to break it down and sort of understand it so that we can separate it from who we are and come together to do the best design work that we can do. Uh, so we, we have a really good time talking with Dan in this episode about all of yeah. that. We talk about seared salmon steaks. We talk about <laughs> filet mignon. We you're talk stuck. About I think you need lunch, Brian. I think you're ready for... <laughs> I'm so fucking hungry. Um, okay, it's 12-11. Brian's ready I, for lunch. I'm on the old man uh, <laughs> lunchtime schedule. <laughs> But we, we talked to Dan about um, what's it like being a uh, brand designer at something like Aura mm-hmm. um, and what's that experience uh, navigating that stakeholder ecosystem. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, at the end, uh, things sort of <laughs> get a little chaotic. I mm-hmm. may have a bone Rightly to pick so. with a bone to pick with wasps. So I kind of mm-hmm. make it about that. Um, Not a fan. So we talked that and then, um, we you know we talk monsters at the end. We talk a little bit of uh, some horror stuff or things we like. Um, but we each you know Dan talks about his favorite monster, and John and I have mm-hmm. some monsters to to chat yep. about. Um, so I think with that, let's get the fuck into this episode. Let's do it. Here we go. I've been wanting to get you in the mix since we started it, so I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, man, I'm stoked. I've been listening to it a lot lately. Oh, I'm cool. loving all the episodes, man. Awesome. It's super awesome. interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how's how's life out in you're still in Sacramento, right? Yeah, we're we're in Roseville, cool. so like a little bit of okay. north, but yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It's been good, man. I mean now that the summer's over, it's cooled down. It's it's great. <laughs> the summers are brutal, but you know. Yeah, and how was yeah. uh smoke season? Oh my god. This year actually, you know, last year was like basically two straight months where we couldn't leave the house and it was like 110 degrees we couldn't open the windows our ac was broken so it was just like 
you know, trying to yeah. live as best as we could. This year, it was like two weeks of like pretty bad air quality. It never got to like 400 like it did last year, but um, it, it, it got over with pretty quick. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the fires lasted forever. I think the wind just like took it in a different direction this year. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, I mean, I think last year was our first year-round fire season where there was an active burn in some yeah. capacity um, somewhere in this state. So it's like, it's so great. I love living on like <laughs> Venus where it's just yes. <laughs> inhospitable. Yeah. It's great. Um, and where do you yeah. live, Brian? I live in Santa Cruz. So Okay. Um, we, we've, we actually didn't get a ton of smoke, uh, this last summer. Um, obviously the year before was pretty gnarly. Um, mm-hmm. so we had a fire in the mountains and it's just a lot of smoke. Um, but yeah. this year it was really interesting to talk to people around town. They're like, yeah, the fire, fire season really isn't that bad this year. And I'm like, well, Go over the hill. <laughs> yeah, you live in a bubble, my guy. Like, yeah. it's actually one of the worst. Yeah, the yeah, wind's taking yeah. it the other direction. Yeah, but. it's just like we're not catching it. So we're like, oh, it's yeah. so good. <laughs> so, oh, man. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, so I, I know. it's Now I'm like eagerly, I've pivoted, you know, I'm a SoCal kid, so I've embraced that summer sunshine vibe. And now I've mm-hmm. fully pivoted away from that and like, Okay, when's winter gonna be here? Yes, give me the clouds. <laughs> give me <laughs> moisture. Yeah. yeah, we're out in we're out in Cambria. We've been out here for a long time, okay. but we moved back to the bay for like a year. Yeah. Uh, when I started at YMO, but it was like right when the pandemic started. So we oh, basically God, signed course. a lease and then got stuck in our home with like thirty percent more rent. So oh, that was really terrible. fun. <laughs> but, yeah, we're we're back now and nice. it's yeah, we're even closer to the coast. So it's That's we're awesome. in we're definitely in that bubble, but it's it's more wintry out here right on the coast so that's kind of nice yeah that's yeah. great I'm liking it <laughs> yeah. okay what nice. he's not telling you is he, you can literally <laughs> see the ocean from his place yeah yeah so it's like <laughs> we're like up a hill a couple yeah. blocks so we have like a so it's like the ultimate view. bubble like yeah <laughs> yeah this yeah, is yeah. what the world <laughs> as yeah <it's, laughs> yeah exactly i get really yeah. pissed because i'm like you, you can just i'll like you know be on a call with them and there's just like the gallant ocean somewhere outside of a window <laughs> and i'm like man and, and i don't know why i get pissy because i mean i live in the town too in a beach town yeah yeah but I'm like, I is that why I you keep the, the camera in front of this black wall so that we were not just like <laughs> yeah. jealous and staring yeah, at you the it, whole it, time? i know i, I have down. my own like little sound booth in the garage right here <laughs> literally <laughs> realizing how echo- echoey it is in my, yeah. my actual office upstairs yeah if it falls down you're just gonna see crashing waves yeah, yeah. Exactly. the waves just, might crash it over. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. just yeah. laughing at his feet. He's on the beach right now. He's on the beach. Yeah, I'm literally. Toes in the sand. Have you guys seen those videos? They're, I feel like they're always on LinkedIn, uh, which is another weird thing. I feel like I'm actually on LinkedIn more often these days, which is like like almost more than well, definitely more than Facebook. So it's, it's yeah. really weird. But anyways, there's always this video of that guy that has like this rig and it's holding up this big green screen behind him and it'll be on like a motorcycle, like on a zoom meeting, but it's green screen to look like his office. So oh like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I saw one where animal. a guy like went to um, like a hockey game or a football game or something. And oh, he yeah, had his yeah. laptop like attached to him somehow with a green screen <laughs> yeah. behind him, but yeah, he had like a beer that. can helmet on. <laughs> like, it, it was just a picture of his office, but he was like clearly at a football game. <laughs> Totally, Dan, totally. here's I our first those. question, and John and I went back and forth. We could have looked this up on YouTube. 
We really could have. Oh, no. But then we decided <laughs> I like I know not where to. this is going. You probably know. Is it pronounced Aura? Oh. <laughs> yes, Aura. <laughs> there it yes, is. That, is, that yep. is. I was trying to overcomplicate it. I was like, Aura. Aura. Well, we were tripping Aura. up with Ueno versus Ueno yeah. or you know, and we had to clarify that with John Delman, so... That's I great. Make yeah, sure we got this one right. <laughs> I pronounced Wayno wrong for years. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> Until I moved back to the Bay, and then everyone was saying Wayno, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what was your mispronunciation? Mine was I think it was U E. I think I might have just spelled it out U E N O, like V S C O for Visco for a while. I did that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like Ueno. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's it, what's it like over there? You how you've been there for maybe a few months right i think that's when i saw you up in sacramento yeah we moved up actually last august um so we've been here for a year um are you talking about aura uh yeah aura aura yes yeah i've I've been there for (laughs) (laughs) i've been there for six months now um and we just uh launched our like new product that i've been working on basically the whole time cool since i started there so it's been Mm -hmm. an exciting couple of weeks that like you know Things have kind of tapered off a bit. You know, it's it's not in my designer lap as much anymore. It's more on the developers fixing yeah. bugs and things. So it's it's totally. been a nice little break. But well, how, did, how did you get to this place? I think even just curious about, and I, I don't think I've ever even talked to you about it, but like I've seen how, like when we met years ago, we were both playing music mm-hmm. and I learned, oh, Dan's also like a photographer and a designer. But what has your design career look like and how did it get you to where you're at now yeah i mean you know i don't know how far back we want to go but uh back when i was in the band i was just doing like myspace designs for other bands in the area Mm -hmm. um and a lot of the times i would just like design the page for them without them knowing and then send them a picture of it and be like (laughs) do you want this (laughs) um and so that was kind of like my first step into like web design really um, and then fast forward a few years, I left the band, went back to school. Um, and then I got a job at like a boutique agency up in here, uh, in Sacramento called Buckwild. Um, so I was That's there right. as a junior creative, um, moved on to huge in Oakland. I was there working on, um, Google cloud stuff mm-hmm. for, uh, nine months or so. And then, um, I, I had previously had a relationship with the CEO at basic, um, and they were starting up a Mountain View office, and I had just recently moved to the Bay, so he hit me up and wanted me to join the team. So I I hopped on over there, um, worked on the Google um, store for the last three years or so, um, mm-hmm. and then got to Aura because one of the creative directors at Basic had moved over to Aura, and he reached out to me. So they were hiring. Cool. I was kind of looking for something new, you know, working on the same site for three years. I was just getting a little burned out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, starting a new job in the middle of the pandemic wasn't something I had anticipated doing. Um, yeah. And so it kind of like helped me like make that change a little bit more easily with like knowing a couple of people that were already on the Aura team and just like having that kind of like, you know, safety net there, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. totally. And for those of you out there listening to this that don't know, Dan was in a band called I Am Empire. I know there's some other stuff before that, but that was when I met you yeah. and I was playing in Northern Sun and we were playing shows mm-hmm. together and I'm Empire uh, had to deal with Tooth and Nail, right? Mm-hmm. Guys, or Solid State, I can't remember. Yeah, it was, was just it Tooth, Tooth and Nail. Nail? Yeah. Tooth and Nail, okay. Um, and so that was the band that you're talking about. And yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Wait, what time. instruments <laughs> did you all play? I play guitar. Oh, sick. Yeah. <laughs> I've always had dreams of playing. Cool band. I, if I if I had a choice, um, I I would play the piccolo. <laughs> it's like just like just a sweet, cute little instrument. Just a sweet, yeah, cute little beautiful. boy on stage. I love it. I Thanks. love it. Yeah. That would pair really well with I Am Empire. Yeah. Well, we it? really oh. could have used it. You know, I think we would have like really skyrocketed <laughs> to the top if we had a piccolo in it. I, 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 Dan I, might still be in the band. Yeah. If there was a piccolo. Well, I'm going to like, I'm sure there's like a master class of like piccolos to be. playing. Just like search. We might Charles. get the band back together. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this might make something happen. Yeah. I will be happy. To contribute my piccolo abilities <laughs> i'll hit all the guys up tonight yeah. and let them know that we've got a piccolo <laughs> on the way and see what's up mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. what up world um the pied piccolo piper <laughs> like, that's, that just... that's my this, i don't know this looks like i'm eating ribs i don't know what... <laughs> it, it just makes me think of the silicon valley pied piper logo <laughs> <laughs> that's right oh man <laughs> Is that that's done, right? They're not. Yeah, doing I think so. Anymore? I think everyone on the show got canceled Sad. except for Camille. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Buff Boy now saving <laughs> saving the world. Yes. Um, so Dan, Are you still uh, playing playing music, Dan? Every once in a while, I mean, you can see I've got the guitars up here in my room just mm-hmm. as decoration mostly. Yeah, yeah um, totally. You know, my son will come in and want it, want me to take it down, and he'll just like kind of bang on it for a while, or I'll play <laughs> yeah. with him. So, um, yeah, that's been fun. That's awesome. I, we actually got him. There's this l- company that came out called Lug. Um, hmm. And it's like they make these little tiny guitars for, like, toddlers. And so we got oh, cool. my son one of those for Christmas. So it'll be fun to see if he, like, kind of gravitates towards it and enjoys yeah. playing it. But it's that's mostly awesome, like man. a ukulele. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. rad. <laughs> yeah. I kind of cut you off, Brian. What were you going to say? Oh, I don't even know. Uh, oh, <laughs> who even knows? Yeah. Oh, I, knows? I remember. I remember. Okay. So, Dan, um, yes. I guess, you know, for people <laughs> who don't know, um, what do you do at Aura? And, like, what is this whole brand thing you do? Why is that important? Yeah. So, um, I basically just do all the website design at Aura. So, anything that you see on AuraRing.com, I've you know, worked on. Um, we have a pretty small team. It's me and one other designer, and then we have our executive creative director. Um, so it's it's a really small team, and we're working with an, a pretty small dev team as well. Um, so we're, we're trying to do like as much as we can with what we've got. But um, it's been it's been a fun experience so far. Um, being able to like kind of tell like the the story of Aura is kind of complex, and that like there's a lot of tech just built into. Mm-hmm. this tiny little ring device um, yeah. and trying to kind of explain to people like what it does can be a challenge at times. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's paired with an app. So like pairing these things on screen has been kind of a challenge for us, like showing the ring and the app and that it goes on your finger and like all these things combined has been a challenge, but um, I think we pulled it off pretty well with this new launch um, recently. And um, it, was, it was a lot of fun to work on, you know, we had a lot of um we we worked with uh, man vs machine to do the um 3d stuff and that was like just like a dream come true working with cool. a company like that but um they absolutely killed it so yeah that was a big yeah. part of like you know the win on that 
my my first thought <clears throat> when I saw the ring is um, it was like a Green Lantern ring. Like when I hear smart ring, <laughs> I'm like, well, this can just like create projections. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, but it does something actually. Phase two. If we're phase two. Um, it actually does something a lot more helpful for people who don't know. It is essentially a biometric scanner. Mm-hmm. on your on your uh, on your finger that's um i think you have like three primary me- uh, metrics of you know sleep activity um and what was there was a third one um yeah the third one is readiness so basically readiness, yeah. it like tracks your sleep throughout the day or th- throughout the night unless you <laughs> sleep during the day like me I know. um <laughs> So it tracks your sleep and then your activity, and then it like kind of uses the data from that to combine and like make this readiness score, which effectively tells you like, you know, you didn't sleep well last night. Maybe take it easy today. Don't like run ten miles and like make it worse on yourself. So mm-hmm. it's it's nice that it, it kind of helps you like keep a balance in your life um, mm-hmm. instead of like always go go go. Like you know, like yeah. the Fitbit is like you have to get ten thousand steps yep. in. Apple Watch is like stand up constantly. So you know, yeah. there's just all these things that are kind of pushing you to like reach your limits. Where Aura kind of like tells you like you know do what you can it with like what you've got going on today. So I love yeah. that. Like that. I mean, I have yeah. a Fitbit, and there are moments where I'm like, bruh. No, not not today. Stop bowling me. Yeah. Where, whereas an aura ring is gonna. It sounds like it's using smart technology to meet you where you're at. Exactly. Um, and so mm-hmm. you can really dial into your day, uh, which I think is mm-hmm. a, a wonderful use of uh, smart wearable tech. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, uh, a friend of mine yeah. just got one. He's he's all about it. I think what he he likes most is that. Like just the sleep thing, like knowing, okay, last night I did not sleep well. So tonight I really mm-hmm. got to get a good night. Like even just simple stuff like that. And I think that's cool, like tying into the sort of the point of the product, almost being the antithesis in a way of other smart wearables, you know, that exactly. it's, it's reminding us to rest and like how important <laughs> yeah. that is. It's not just about go, go, go. Yeah. I'm actually yeah. curious, like how, being there and just being, you know, tuned into uh, this world of wearable tech, uh, where do you see it going beyond this, maybe for the product, but even just in general, how this might kind of shake up the market? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is really like the, the form factor and the size, like Mm -hmm. all the other ones, like either go around your wrist or I've seen some that like you sleep with this like headband around your head and like, it's like tracking your (laughs) brain waves or something at night. Like, it's just like a lot of these like really intrusive technologies mm-hmm. where Aura like I can wear it when I'm sleeping and I, it doesn't bother me. There's like a green light that kind of happens throughout the night that you can kind of see, but it's almost mm-hmm. like soothing in a way, like knowing that it's like tracking your sleep and like you you know that you're going to wake up with this cool data. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I really think that's a big thing is like, you know, finding ways to like make these things just less intrusive in your day and find ways to like really track these like key vitals where like, you know, the Apple watch can track like, you know, activity levels and heart rate and things like that. But the aura ring Mm -hmm. gets even deeper where it's like tracking your HRV, like the, the, the variance between your heartbeats and things like that. And which can tell you so much more about really like the levels of, you know, the sleep that you got, things like that. Um, and I think that's, that's 
kind of where it's going. Um, you know, being there six months so far, I'm not like yeah. a total like expert or anything. Like I'm not going to give a master <laughs> class, but um, yeah, I, yeah. It, it seems like that's a, a big thing that we're trying to lean into and kind of, you know, win from, but that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> is it, is it a kind of a dumb question, but is it waterproof? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's cool. I don't know exactly the resistance, but um, it, it it can go pretty far down. I think a hundred okay. meters. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, at least Gen three. Um, yeah, that sounds right. So, but it's like, but it's also like more important. I think is like dishwashing. Yes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like you don't just have every day. Yeah. 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 That everyday stuff. And one of the things too um, about the aura ring, and I think Fitbit too, um, but aura specifically is like compared to Apple Watch it's so much it's biometric data is so much more accurate yes just straight up yeah um especially at sleep uh measurements Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and you know i i tried doing the sleep thing with my apple watch before i got to aura and it's just like wearing a watch when you're trying to sleep is just difficult (laughs) it's like a a big clunky thing but i I would agree with you as somebody who has it um yeah I, i you know there's a few moments where it like will get caught on my pillow or something yeah. where the, the the fact is a ring is a lot less intrusive and mm-hmm. you know you have to wear it just a tiny bit tighter like my watch and so if you yeah. take it off you'll maybe have a little bit of red band on your skin where you're not yes. you're not getting that with an aura ring it's just you know it's not like the yeah. ring that you, uh, the lord of the rings ring where it's like yeah bonding <laughs> with the worst parts of yourself <laughs> <laughs> A full disclaimer, Aura yeah. is not paying us for this episode, <laughs> but I'm hoping they might give John a free ring. Out of I, I want... <laughs> I'll put in a good word. It, I want the ring from Lord of the Rings. I just want to go invisible. <laughs> well, maybe maybe Aura can make a, a green ring for you, Brian. Yeah. I don't or know a green if lantern a ring. green one yet, but well, yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah. God, green ran- lantern themed. <laughs> um yeah it's it's rad and then um i think another like consideration about this smart wearable technology uh that's interesting to think about is how it's we're the infrastructure is not quite there but mm-hmm. i think in the future how it's going to close the gap between um the patient and the doctor and you know yes. you're you know like especially given another five, 10 years, um, it's, you're going to have this biometric data that, you know, your doctor can access and like, Mm -hmm. see if you've come to them with, here's my symptoms for X, Y, Z. Like, okay, well let's pull up your data for the last six months, you know, and you can like, um, see, see the history of what's going on. That to me is Mm -hmm. so fucking appealing. Um, and I'm just like, Oh Yes. As somebody yeah, who's huge. not a hypochondriac, but it's definitely a hypochondriac. Um, Same. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So, um, <laughs> but um, anyways, so let's uh, let's let's talk. Let's talk. Should we talk s- about the monster? Some steak. Some some holders of steak. Got it. <laughs> so that's that's today's monster oh, is stakeholders. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. I have a sirloin. John has a ribeye. <laughs> what are you holding? <laughs> I got that filet mignon. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Fuck. Well, what? Yeah, what? I think even just yeah, just diving right into it. 
you know, I know you've only been there for six months, but I'm curious, you know, kind of a two-part question. What is a stakeholder to you? Mm-hmm. And how do you see the difference between, you know, external versus internal stakeholders? Mm-hmm. What, what does that look like to you? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think in the past being more agency driven, um, obviously stakeholders to me were more just clients. Um, but then after moving in-house at Aura for the last six months, um, it's, it's definitely changed. And even being at basic in the Google store, we were embedded with Google. So there was kind of this like blur between the lines of, um, you know, stakeholder versus client versus, you know, their creative director is my creative director kind of thing like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me at this point in house and everything, stakeholders for me are just like, you know, the executive leadership. And then it kind of trickles down into just like the, the people that are kind of giving us the briefs from the marketing team and then more directly to the creative director. Um, and that would be kind of like the internal, um, you know, stakeholder for me. And then, externally i think at this point it's really like the users like they're also a stakeholder in the sense that like you know we're we're trying to build something for them and we want to make it the best we can for their Mm -hmm. experience you know i think that gets lost a lot on people yeah they they forget about that being the ultimate most important stakeholder of all Mm. how how do you see the concept of uh stakeholders as something that is completely holistic where it includes the designer or whoever is providing those services as well. How, how do you think that's a real thing? Uh, what, what's your perspective on that? I think it's, it's hard for people to kind of see like the value of design sometimes. Um, and that causes problems and, you know, it, it can also affect like, you know, we are given like very short timelines at times when like, you know, in order to do our job correctly, like we need a decent amount of time to like, get to the place that we need to go, you know, like it doesn't just yeah. automatically come to us. So, I mean, it's, it's not to say that stakeholders don't value designers as people, but it's just like, they're coming at it from a totally different angle. You know, they're, they're seeing mm-hmm. it from, like I said before, business objectives where like, you know, they don't necessarily see like the user experience and things that we're, we're trying to put into it to, mm-hmm. you know, really give the users the best experience possible. And, yeah. you know, we're also trying to meet business objectives of selling the ring. I think sometimes there's just a disconnect in how we get there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. How, how do you find yourself, um, sort of trying to, or do you find yourself trying to bridge that disconnect? Like, what is that, what does working with that disconnect feel or look like for you? Yeah, for sure. I think. Um, you know, at Google, especially there was just so many layers of stakeholders, like some, you know, we would never even get the chance to interact with. And I think that was a big part of the issues there where like, you know, we're directly working with our creative director and then the Google creative director, and then they take our work and they present it to two people above them. And, Mm -hmm. and we don't get to see like the reactions to that. And I think, you know, one thing I've tried to push for on those teams is, really just having visibility, like being able to attend those meetings, whether, you know, we have the opportunity to speak up or not. Like it, to me, it's just important to hear kind of like from the stakeholder themselves, like, and kind of just like their tone of voice when they say it, even, I mean, just context is so critical in those kind of decisions. And 
like losing that context and having it kind of telephone down to you, it's, it creates all kinds of problems. It's like you, you have your thing. And I, I have, I'm saying this to somebody who has worked with Google teams, um, Mm -hmm. not in a senior capacity, but I've, I've participated. So I've seen this bit and it's, it's more than just Google. It's a lot of places, but it's this experience Mm -hmm. of like, you have, the problem you solve or the thing you produce and they're like a little mouse that comes out of the wall and they grab the cheese that you've just made and then they disappear back in the wall and it's like okay six weeks have just passed by it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> did you like what i did did that was that exactly. at all? was that helpful <laughs> yeah yes. and then they come back down they're like where's the other cheese yeah uh, <laughs> oh man <laughs> yeah like, i don't know think- mouse god <laughs> We also had the problem where, you know, there are so many layers at Google that like, you know, they wouldn't be talking to each other either. And so Mm -hmm. we would get directives from our like immediate superiors and then we would work towards that goal. They would present it to the executives and then the executives would be like, what the hell is this? Like, this isn't (laughs) at all what we asked for or what we talked about. And so then they'd come down to us. We'd be a month into the project and have to restart from the beginning because mm-hmm. it was all, you know, nobody was communicating with each other. So I think, you know, communication and context are just two, like, critical things for me, like, in just mm-hmm. any kind of project, really. Yeah, and I, on touching on that context, like, the contextual part of this, um, and just kind of, like, thinking about the stuff and reading some articles leading up to this, you know, I kind of got the sense that there's, there's, like, you can boil it down to a few different things, but I think most importantly, it's the management side of stakeholders. And then there's that expertise. Mm-hmm. So someone who has a lot more core knowledge about what are, whatever it is you're working on and then the decision maker. Totally. And then even looking at that and saying, well, is that black and white? So the people who are the decision makers might actually be the expert. And then the, the direct stakeholders that you're working with on a day-to-day basis might actually, actually be more of a management layer, like a project mm-hmm. management sort of thing. So how have you found yourself navigating those those two you know poles of yeah. uh the stakeholder concept monster? That's that's tough yeah. man. It's and you know <laughs> at Google it is very much that way like there's you know the, obviously the the creative directors and you know executive creative directors that are you know obviously more the creative and marketing side of things but then they mm-hmm. also had the the product managers that were clearly the expert on the product itself. And, you know, presenting to them, they're looking at it from such a different perspective. And, you know, it it took a while for me to kind of get that and like not present to them Mm -hmm. like, oh, when I when you scroll down, this really amazing animation is going to happen and it's going to present like this. Like they don't give a shit about that. All they care about is how many products are going to sell and if it's being represented properly. So, you know, a lot of times in those meetings, I'm really just like kind of scrolling through making sure all of the details are there and really just kind of you know even working with copywriters in meetings like that just to make sure that like we're saying the right things um and we're representing the product properly especially with this aura ring um you know there's so many different like each feature basically has its own team and all the features are in the same ring so we're having to like meet with like five or six different stakeholders on different days and like sometimes that had that caused a little bit of friction because like this stakeholder would say one thing about a certain feature like heart rate for example and then we talked to someone else about period prediction and then they would kind of contradict what was said there 
And so like not having, again, not having everyone in the room creates this issue that then we have to like spend extra time turning our gears to like, you know, go to different people and make sure that like we're getting the right information. But luckily at Aura, at least there is kind of a centralized person of like, she kind of manages like the science of it all. And so anytime that we had sort of like an issue, we would go to her and say like, okay, is this like the science behind the ring? Like, is are we saying the right thing that like gets at that properly? And so she would kind of be like the arbitrator between all that. Yeah. And I thought that was super helpful where it kind of like, you know, we're, we're working directly with these stakeholders, but at the same time, there's someone that kind of oversees sort of all of it just to make sure like everything is, is, you know, said correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. So that, that kind of, that, um, leads into a, a question John and I were thinking about earlier is, um, are some stakeholders more important than others? Yeah. Just say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to say no, <laughs> but I think the answer is yes. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, especially at a startup, you know, for us, it's really like the CEO and the CFO or, or, and the CMO even are really kind of the people that we're beholden to in the end, you know, we can go through all these layers of like st- other stakeholders, but when it comes down to it, if the CEO thinks differently and tells us to change something, we're going to change it. Um, and unless there's like some really critical piece that like is not being met because of the feedback we're getting, then we're probably going to execute on that. Um, similar to Google. I mean, there was like this, the executive creative director on their side that kind of was like the last layer of, you know, creative approval, um, before we launched. And, you know, I think she definitely was like, if it doesn't pass this, then we're going to have to change it. Like, and there was very few instances where we were able to kind of, you know, push back and like, you know, challenge her. Um, you know, obviously we could challenge her opinion and, you know, have a conversation about it, but in the end, like whatever she says goes. So, um, I think there definitely are tiers to (laughs) kind of like the hierarchy of stakeholders. And, and how do you, how do you sort of temper or ease that friction in a way that presents compelling arguments or, or compelling points that lead to those solutions that you or your team think are, you know, the best way to go. How, how do you approach that? And how do you work towards bringing all of those people together, whatever that hierarchy is? Yeah. Um, you know, I think one thing that we did at Aura for this launch that we just did was, um, we kind of tiered it out. Like from the beginning, we would just meet with our internal team and then like, as we got further down into the project, like opening it up to, to more and more people. In the end, we presented to the, the executive leadership um, once it was basically at a completed state, which I think ended up not being the right decision. Um, you know, they, they kind of saw it and they wanted to be brought in earlier. Um, and it makes total sense. Like it, it's hard to see something completed and you know there's a deadline coming up and you know have feedback but feel like you can't provide that feedback because there's just too not enough time left um so i think that was a big learning for us of like really making sure that we're bringing people in at the right times um and allowing for them to have that feedback and you know making sure that it's it, it is valid for them to have that so that we're not like pushing up against deadlines after we get these like you know 
maybe it's like completely rearranged the page and it, it just mm-hmm. completely th- throws things up in the mix. But um, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. You know, again, getting everyone in the same room or yeah. at least like making sure you're managing exactly how these people are seeing things. Totally. Now I'm in talking about how time uh, butts up against some of these things and making sure everybody's in the same room. Um, so like, how how would you in like if you were in charge of how to like get people in the room? <laughs> I don't room, know if we what, want that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just fire brimstone. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I guess for me, I uh, I'll say it this way: I'm I was surprised working in the field that I do that everybody doesn't get in the room sooner. Mm-hmm. and agree like this is all that this is the thing we're making and and i'm talking everybody that you know the yeah the, 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 yeah, the, the yeah. captain of the From ship top to bottom top to bottom and instead of you know having the in, you know the lieutenants or commander i don't know why i'm doing a star trek <laughs> <ranking>. <laughs> i think you're talking about the uh fellowship of the ring yeah, yeah we're god back. Don't, listen to me, man. don't listen to me i don't know what the fuck i'm saying um, but I, I'm just, um, because oftentimes, honestly, um, stakeholders are a great source of feedback and mm-hmm. see something in a way that I didn't see. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I would love, you know, I'm, I'm just shocked that, that th- those perspectives aren't all in the room at the same time you know sooner and it's i don't know it's it has me thinking about you know like what you talked about with time and butting up against things and you know we're all we've all thought we're doing abc and then you find out late into the process we really need to be doing xyz yeah exactly and it's like wait what (laughs) and speaking of that kind of related to time like for the stuff that we were just working on, like it was really difficult to get time on people's calendars, to be honest. And especially now during the pandemic, like so many people's days are just like meetings from 9am to Mm -hmm. 6pm or beyond. And, you know, even at Aura, like we're working, you know, obviously in the U S but our headquarters is also in Finland. And so working with the product team is very difficult. Like our times almost don't overlap at all so if we want to meet with them we have to like have like a 6 a.m meeting which is fine but it's just like making those things happen is kind of difficult um and so like getting everybody in the same room at the same time on a weekly basis or you know monthly whatever it is can be kind of difficult um and you know at google when i first started there we we kind of did that at the beginning of projects to kick things off for a launch or something we would have you know obviously the brief and then everybody, for the most part, was in those briefings. But the problem is, like, we would be briefed six or seven months before the deadline, which is awesome to have that much time. But at the same time, it also leaves six or seven months for people to change their minds. And so, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. you get three months in and it's like, oh, we changed how we're going to market this thing. So let's just completely reverse what we've done. And a lot of times, like, we're trying to build these, like, narrative-driven pages that, you know, it's like beats of a story as you go down the page that if these if these features have to flip, 
it kind of breaks the, the, the flow that we have going and we have to totally rethink the page, um, which happened multiple times, but, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, it, there, there's good and bad to both sides, of course, but, um, I think we're, you're on the right track of like having everybody in the same room at the same time and like on the same page at some point is super valuable. Yeah. yeah. And how, how do you facilitate or, or do you even do like, you know, workshop sessions and, you know, I, 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 as a brand designer working on a product as a product designer, how do you initiate those in a mm-hmm. way that addresses the product and the brand mm-hmm. and bringing as many people in at the beginning as you can? What, what do those workshop sessions look like? Yeah. I mean, working from home now, it's, it's very different, but I think, um, yeah. using Figma has helped a lot. Um, just, you know, everybody getting in the same file and kind of farting around doing what they got to do. But, um, (laughs) you know, for us at Aura, um, you know, it it was, there wasn't a ton of workshopping, at least between us and product. It was mostly just like me, the other designer and copywriter kind of like going at it, um, Mm -hmm. and just trying to like get what we, we can on the page. But, um, at Google, uh, we we would literally do like actual workshops with the client in the room. And that was yeah. super helpful just because like, you know, you're all on the same page at the same time, like I keep yeah. saying, but um, you know, just being able to have like creative ideas with the client also helps. Cause then you kind of understand their thought process. They understand your thought process and it's, yeah. there's less of this like gap that can cause a lot of friction sometimes where like when we present work that they didn't see us build, and they don't understand our reasonings behind it, then there can be just like this, like, well, why did they do that? And then it, it just becomes this kind of like battle of like, you know, they're not listening to me. I'm not listening. Like it, it just becomes this thing that like is unspoken and it causes like this weird kind of vibe between like people in the room, but having that, those workshops really helps kind of break those walls down. I think. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, in thinking about one of the things I'm thinking about, Dan, is um, how you talked about how a lot of stakeholders just don't have time. They're they're booked or mm-hmm. their energy is dead at the end of the day and X, Y, Z, because they have all of these things that they're solving for on their end. Um, and sort of in thinking about that, how can we understand um those sort of challenges stakeholders face and I guess swim with the current rather than against it. Yeah. I don't maybe give them Hermione's time turner. <laughs> just give them a little oh, bit more time. I, I think that's or the yeah, invisibility yeah. cloak. <laughs> just yeah, put the invisibility yeah. cloak Ooh. over their calendar, make it look like they're always busy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like what's this? Yeah. What's, what comes up for you there? It's tough. I mean, it, it's difficult to put myself in their shoes just because I do find myself with like a lot of kind of empty blocks during the day on my calendar, um, which is great. And I've, I've learned to kind of take those, those empty moments and fill them in myself with busy mm-hmm. or deep work or whatever it is, just to make sure that like people know, like, just please don't book me for anything unnecessary yeah. during these times. Obviously if something critical comes up, I'll take it. But, um, and I, I, I think it's tough for me just because like, I don't have 
a calendar that is like all these critical meetings and I'm not a manager, so I don't have, you know, one-on-ones to have with, with other people on the team and things like that. Um, so I think, you know, a way to kind of alleviate it at least is really to just like work within their time frame of like, you know, from, for me personally, like I'm, I'm working with my producer to have him reach out to these people and like whatever time on their calendar works for them. Great. Like, I'm not going to like, we're not going to push to like force a meeting and then, you know, have them come when they're stressed out or something like make it work on their time. And sometimes that means staying late at the office. And sometimes it means coming in early. Um, I'm happy to do those things as long as like, you know, their mind can be in the right place when they're looking at the work so that, you know, that's not just like another level of friction in between. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. I think that's, (laughs) <laughs> Go for it, Brian. Well, yeah, I was just going to say it's that uh, being intentional around cultivating that time and protecting yeah. that time, which I imagine is very difficult when you're at the management level and you have a bunch of little, you know, things pulling on the hem of your shirt. And so, yeah, I but I'm not a manager, so I don't, um, I'm just like, yeah, just create more time. Just, yeah, <laughs> just cancel your meetings. Just it's not, cancel, it's, it's yeah. not a big deal. Just, just find time. Yeah. So Be, yeah. beyond that time, that friction that can come with time, what? How, how do you actually start to understand maybe even the politics and and the things that, especially those really high up stakeholders are dealing with to kind of get into that headspace so that you can go okay. I know like this is what I think the best solution is, but I actually can already anticipate a little bit why this might not work, where I might not be able to get it through with them. Mm-hmm. How do you actually understand that and start to to get your head in that space a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that can definitely be tough. And especially at a startup, like, you know, I think one stakeholder that we haven't totally talked about yet is like, um, you know, board the board, like having like, right. For us, we have investors and we're also beholden to their wants and desires. And, you know, one thing that we did with this launch is we introduced a subscription model and for current users, they got like, kind of like, you know, grandfathered in to this new subscription membership. But, um, Mm -hmm. it was very difficult to figure out how to like, kind of communicate that. And for better or for worse, I don't know if we did it exactly how we should have done it um but you know i kind of anticipate like you're talking about anticipating those changes and things like going into those those meetings and just you know being able to like provide options i think for 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 us was was key in those kind of things where like we have our kind of take on it we have what the directive was and then we kind of like see what their think their thinking is like kind of between the two um and just allowing them to kind of like you know visually see representations of like how this thing could live in the wild um Mm -hmm. and not having them have to like visualize it themselves because that alone causes a lot of problems as i'm sure you've seen so when we're talking about like um you know like pivoting to the subscription for example and we're talking about those risks and experiments um what does it look like for you to experiment within this stakeholder ecosystem? That's a good question. Um, and when you're talking about experiment, you mean like within the designs and how we can. Yeah. Solve yeah. For yeah. Or? For I guess. Yeah. I guess it would be for your lane. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a good question. Um, you know, it, a lot of it, you know, uh, for for the way that things are kind of run at Aura, like a lot of the decisions are based on, you know, user research. And so I think a lot of our decisions were kind of, um, you know, built around those those kind of findings, I guess. Like, um, it, it's tough though, because you know we're we're also, you know, we've we've got this this site kind of already built. We've got it built on a CMS, so there's only so much we can do within that framework as well. So, trying to kind of work within these these boundaries, but also like push it to a point where, you know, the the user is going to see what the subscription is, why we have it. And also, like, not feel like kind of blindsided by it. Um, you know, it was it was tough, but I think it's just a matter of like working, you know, with the team. And then, like I said, we we kind of kept going to these kind of like feature stakeholder meetings that really helped us kind of like kind of massage those details out before we got mm-hmm. it up to the executives. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, and I I think maybe kind of one one overarching question before we maybe get into some fun <laughs> questions about your favorite monster. Uh, you, you mentioned story a lot, I think, through what we're talking about and understanding what that is. Um, and I think, you know, I assume a lot of that especially comes from being someone who's done a lot of brand design and whose focus is that. So when it comes to, you know, the stakeholders, it comes to trying to bring everyone together to finding the best solution to keep everyone sort of consumer focused or user focused mm-hmm. how do you see that story playing a part both in the execution of i'm assuming you work a lot on like the actual page mm-hmm. um versus the product maybe curious about that too mm-hmm. but how do you rely on that story and how do you discover it and how do you communicate it to help bring all of these stakeholders together yeah um i mean for us one of the things that we did this this kind of go around for this launch was we had an offsite where everybody literally, we all flew down to LA for a few days during the week. Um, and we were all in the same room, just kind of going through the different briefs and everything. Mm. And that was kind of where like our creative team was able to like meet a lot. And we kind of worked out the story there, like specifically to this page, like it's, it's telling this kind of like 24 hour story of like how aura ring can help you throughout your day and meet you in these moments um, that are key. Like when you wake up in the morning, you're given this readiness score. And then beyond that, like it tells you like, if you're good to go for the day, maybe you can do a workout and then kind of like meeting you in those places throughout the day and then ending on this, you know, obviously it's gonna track you while you sleep. Um, And I think, you know, building those stories out, it it really helps, you know, for us, it helps sell it through to the stakeholders because then they could kind of grasp like, you know, mm-hmm. what, exactly what the user is going to be seeing here. Um, you know, it's, I don't know, I, I'm getting lost again, but. No, <laughs> no I mean, yeah, that's totally yeah. making sense. Yeah. You're, and, it, and it really goes back to what you were saying, you know, back, when you're thinking about the website, you are telling a story. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, um, and, you know, in, in in the past, like, we did the same thing at Google, and I think, being able to like tell these stories in in ways that like the user can kind of comprehend these like more complex things like you know talking having a web page that just tells you about the tech in the ring and like you know exactly what these things are doing 
to track all these things. Like the user, the average user isn't going to see that and like either understand it or care. So we're trying to find ways to like explain these features in a way that like shows the benefit to them um, as opposed to just like, here's what it does. It shows them how it can help them, which I think users really grab onto. And I think the stakeholders also appreciate that as well. So, yeah, yeah I, uh, for, for, sure. for what it's worth, I think you guys have done a great job. Um, Thanks, man. I, I think it, it's one of the aura and, uh, my little ionic here, um, get me excited about, uh, technology, you know, it's just, it's mm -hmm. fucking cool. And part of the reason why it's cool is because it works pretty damn well. So it's, yeah. it's just rad. Like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like you, there's a biometric fucking scanner on your finger. Yeah. And it's it's intuitive. It's measuring these things that actually help you. That's so cool. What? <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? It's it's uh it's a sci-fi thing made real. And yeah. uh, it's weird cuz like if we had seen this in a movie 15 years ago it'd have been like holy totally. shit, that's crazy. What? But now we're here, yeah. we have it and it's like all right, yeah, I get it. But like, yeah. what's next? Like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I know we're in that I, and that's like exactly where I was at too, talking to Brian about this before and my friend who got it, I'm like, I really don't like wearing an Apple watch. Um, but I, I like that I can wear it if I'm exercising, you know, just mm -hmm. to see what's going on or whatever. And I know that that's not exactly what R is, but like you said, I'm like, so when will it do that stuff? Yeah, like I'm exactly. really, I'm already <laughs> there. And it, I think what's cool about that is it, one, it makes me excited about the product, but it also makes me excited about where it's going to go. And I think that's probably a part of the story too, is like every product that's being designed these days is always in that future state for sure in tandem, you know, and, and not that's to be cool. an aura spokesperson here, but I, I think it does. <laughs> Brian wants a ring too. <laughs> I, 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 uh, yeah, let's re I'm going to, I'm committed to this thing for a year. Um, <laughs> and then I might, I might switch to how many times will I get this caught on my pillow? Um, but I will say, I think the Aura does a really good job of even tracking your physical activity. Um, mm -hmm. It's like right up there with uh, Fitbit. So, John, yeah, I would actually I say your Aura is better. The Aura is better, much better than the Apple Watch. Um, yeah. One of the fun things that I found out when I got it was I was just like cleaning the house one day, just doing dishes and, you know, cleaning stuff up. My kids got toys literally everywhere. Um, yeah. And after like a half hour of doing that, I got a notification in my app that was like, oh, activity detected. What were you doing? And it oh, like house cool. chores was one of the options in the list. So I was like, this thing can even oh, track just like that. as yeah. little energy as just like, you know, doing chores around the house. Maybe I'm just like super out of shape. So I thought I was running a marathon, but <laughs> I, like, it also ooh. tracks like it can catch when I'm taking a shower, like because you're moving oh, your hands around a lot. So, wow, yeah, it's really interesting more... like the things. That's it's really a lot sensitive. more finely tuned than the Fitbit. Yeah. Like, yeah. One, I had no idea. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, what, you're standing still and your heartbeat is... Are you are you having a panic attack? Why, why <laughs> yes, Aura. <laughs> I am experiencing wow. some existential doom. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like you type in existential doom. Yeah. Like, Thanks, Aura. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And, and um, don't notify me this about this again because it's yeah, normal no. <laughs> these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like that's well, rad. I didn't know that that it yeah. it um that that is something I wish the Fitbit would be a little bit more um specific about like it gets mm -hmm. 
like you know when i it's great tracking walking and like things that i'm doing out and about gets a little confused if i'm like on a bike a stationary bike yeah which i use to exercise and um it affects how it's evaluating that activity if i'm mm-hmm. not if it can't detect me like moving across a surface right if it's mm-hmm. just if i'm in place it's like yeah. well, what the fuck were you doing and i'm like i was biking <laughs> and it's like no you weren't <laughs> yeah. you liar <laughs> and i'm like i'm sorry fitbit <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's what's totally. nice about this is yeah. like it, it it doesn't rely on GPS to like track activity. It's really just based mm-hmm. on the metrics that it's measuring at the time. That's so and it's cool. like, you know, if you if you don't want to run for the day, you can be like, "Oh, now I can just work out by cleaning the house." <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Or having sure. some existential doom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get that heart rate up, buddy. <laughs> um so we we need to talk about monsters. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of doom, <laughs> I actually have a monster, John, separate from the one we were talking about. Yeah. So you, so I'm going to do something. So you can own the one that we were talking about. Okay. I have gotcha. a new one. <laughs> yeah. Nice. This is our favorite part of the whole podcast. Talking about our <laughs> this favorite is why it monsters. Exists. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> well, Dan, what's what's uh, your all time? Either your all time favorite monster or your recent or both oh man so in preparation for this and listening to it i kind of anticipated (laughs) this question um but you know i had a few written down i think recent because it's so prevalent right now and i've been watching it a lot is dune Mm -hmm. um (gasps) the baron harkonnen okay wait hold on really quick no spoilers (laughs) for the second half of the book because i've only seen that for the movie like eight times. Oh, nice. But I don't, <laughs> I won't I say anything. Okay. I'll just but, say uh, you've seen the movie though. Yes. That's a great point. Yeah. Here. Continue. <laughs> so the, the Baron, just like the way he's represented in the film is like mm-hmm. terrifying and gross. Yeah. And like just everything about it is like exactly how I would have ex- expected it to be done. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that. Um, but I think the one that I kept going back to was it from it <laughs> yeah oh that's, that's such a great one and done so well oh my so god well. yeah. yeah and i i've i've never seen the first movie i i to be fair I, i'm not really like a horror person um mm-hmm. until recently i mean i think it kind of pushed me into it um a buddy of mine like forced me to go see it with him and i'm like through like <laughs> through my fingers i watched half yeah, the movie but right. um I ended up loving it so much that I bought the book that the next day and like started oh, reading wow. it. It took me like eight months to get through it cause it's so big, mm-hmm. but um, the book is even better than the movies. And just like the way, like the, the eeriness of it mm-hmm. like really comes out in the books. Um, yeah. And just the way that like it, it preys on people's fears. And I think, yeah. you know, it, it for me at this point in my life, it would probably just be like a bee buzzing around my head because I'm terrified of bees, but, (laughs) (laughs) Um, or a stakeholder, you know, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) just to bring it back around. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) bees are, I just don't like sudden darting things. Yeah. Mm, No, no. (laughs) You know, or they always like come up and like buzz your ear. It's like, Oh. <laughs> well, flybys. Yeah, mm-hmm. and once you've been stung by a bee or a wasp or whatever, once you're like, mm-hmm. okay, it's fair. <laughs> it's fair that I don't want to be visited by that because it sucks. See, that's Walk the thing. I've never been stung. 
Dude, it, yeah, it's not fun. I was stung in the neck by a wasp, oh like right yeah, there. Yeah, because wasps are assholes. And they can just keep bit. going. I guess yeah. bit, right? Like they bite, yeah. they don't sting. Oh. It was wasp. horrible. And I stepped on a bee once. And that oh. was... That's... Bottom of your foot is not a good place oh, to get stung. That's awful. I, I prefer getting tattooed. Yeah. <laughs> I, Damn. Wasps, honestly, honestly, I want to exterminate the whole species. <laughs> Right, Nobody's and I mean they're not useful them. like they're bees. They're not useful. <laughs> yeah, they, these they are great. These are homies. I will yeah. happily get stung <laughs> by a bee if it means that a fucking wasp is gonna die. Like, yes. <laughs> I, I don't. One for one. They're petty. They're greedy. <laughs> they're vindictive. They're not kind. Wow, you really? I think bees are or wasps are your favorite monster, or maybe not. No, favorite, I, I want scariest monster. I, and their nests are gross. Like yeah. bees, it's like charming and cute. Like, look at my little honeycomb. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. wasp yeah, we get is honey like, out of yeah, it. I mean, yeah. wasp on. is this like nightmare fuel, like papery looking <laughs> sack. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. Yeah. And it's like, dude, I'm just trying to eat my sandwich, and you're over here bullying me. <laughs> and anyway, I mean Jerry Seinfeld made a cute kids movie about bees, not wasps. So yeah, I think there, that's right. there it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There it is. I mean, they'd literally turn lemons into lemonade, spit into honey, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah, that's just, just... See, bees aren't so bad. Bees, bees yeah. aren't so bad. Ooh, wasps suck. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, it sucks, like, because when we think about all these other species dying off, and even when the, the, the bees were, you know, like, oh, God, the bees... The wasps are over here like, eh, fuck you. Yeah, I'm they're drinking- just thriving. <laughs> yeah, I'm drinking your blood. Like, oh, it's man. just... You think you like mosquitoes, man. Try it now. Uh, I know, yeah. mosquitoes too. Oh, God. Yep. I hate them. I like how this, com- <clears throat> this conversation about <laughs> monsters has devolved into the monster species that we have to deal yeah. with. Yeah. Well, yep. What I think about, what I think about is that there's some fucking alien planet somewhere. Or maybe it happened in our past where wasps are like the size of cars. Oh, hell. <laughs> there's, I just imagine that there's some evolutionary process where all the insects are really fucking big. And <laughs> spiders, mosquitoes, like, imagine, imagine a wasp the size of a car going up against a T-Rex. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay? hell no. That's a threat. <laughs> like, as a uh-huh. T-Rex, I would be terrified. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I'm I, I sorry. Mean, it reminds I... me back to Dune. It reminds you of the spider in that movie. Uh, or the Hunter yeah, Killers. Yeah. The Hunter Killer yeah. drone is like all of my nightmares about a wasp. <laughs> <laughs> Weaponized. <Yes. laughs> well, what what's your beyond the wasp, Brian? What what's your what yeah, rivals that I'm for you to right now? One. Oh, so for my monster, so I I decided to do it ring themed. <laughs> So I, that leads nice. me to uh, a Green Lantern villain uh, by the name of Atrocitus. Um, he is, oh, there's a fucking wasp right outside my window. I'm not even fucking <laughs> they heard, heard you. I heard you. Oh, I hate them. Um, this guy. Oh, God. Fucking, sorry. Talking shit. Atrocitus. Yeah, I'll they're petty you. little shits. Um, Atrocitus. He's he's a big red hulking angry looking motherfucker, um, whereas <laughs> you know Green Lanterns are powered by will, 
Um, mm-hmm. And I want us to pronounce that like, you know, when Captain Planet's like, heart, will, <laughs> you know, it's just like this really cute thing. Atrocitus yeah. is powered by rage. Mm. And his constructs are like violent and angry. And um, he also vomits red energy. Um, but Atrocitus, yeah, he's just like this beastly looking angry basically if a wasp was in the green lantern world it would be atrocitous persona it's persona would match it's just rage. It would line up with yeah yeah just, yeah and, yeah and so they have you know the little red uh they have a red power ring the sorry right. so he's the yeah. leader of the red lanterns i should have said that right um so who are all powered by rage um mm-hmm. and uh yeah he's just a brutal ruthless. they're not getting quality sleep man <laughs> that's Those why red the ring's red. Are, yeah, no. they're not. They're not inf- informative enough. No, their their score is like negative twelve. <laughs> so, a hundred on the rage scale, though. Yeah, a hundred on the rage scale. <laughs> yep. Just their BPM yeah. is through the roof. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I say him because he actually looks very monstrous. If you're to look up Atrocitus, mm-hmm. and how cool is that name, Atrocitus? Like, it's a pretty sweet name. It's fucking yeah, it's amazing. Evil. Oh, he's evil. Yeah. John, talk to me. How about your mom? Well, I've been holding on to this one for a while, uh, but the vampire in Midnight Mass is Ooh. one of my favorite things in a while because it. You've, we've seen so many vampire movies. We've heard so many vampire stories, and they're either like, you know, Twilight vampires <laughs> or they're just like the super spooky ones and then you go all the way back to Nosferatu it's like there's so much you can do with that but then Midnight Midnight Mass came out and of course Flanagan is a genius in creating these compelling scary stories that like are heart-wrenching too Mm -hmm. but he still is able to create a monster that is terrifying in a really like minimal way like especially, I don't want to give it away too much, but especially when it starts like bringing this character in, it's like really simple, almost like like signs, kind of like Ooh. the way that movie kind of sets it's it up, and you get little glimpses, like That's you know, cool. Jaws, like a bit, you just kind of like see a little bit, and it's done so well. But then when you actually do see it, I think the reveal is so amazing because it's just such a creepy mm-hmm. creature, and it that was really enjoyable seeing something like that kind of come back yeah i've been debating whether or not i should watch it because i'm i'm such a wimp when it comes to scary things well that's the thing (laughs) it's like the the character design around that monster is great Mm -hmm. and i like i think that uh uh, haunting uh, of hill house is like the scariest one Mm -hmm. bly manor's spooky and midnight mass i think is way more emotional than it is scary interesting so it's 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 scary but it's not like there's maybe a couple jumpy parts but it's not like it's not a scary show per se i think it's way more like emotional and philosophical and like it really stirs and there's there's articles out there that you know he writes about his experience making that he's been working on it it for years and years yeah, it's because he's if I've ever. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's it goes like really deep and it's really personal to him. Um, awesome. I think he wrote a lot of his own story into it, and so it really comes through. And it's like a, it's special. I know mm-hmm. it maybe sounds weird to say, but like for me, it was definitely like 
really like there's moments that are just like really sweet and like mm. bittersweet in a way right yeah. and i think sometimes only that genre can can pull that off because it takes like getting you scared enough to really be like engaged and you're in this like vulnerable space so that when that message kind of comes through and that story comes through it's like oh i needed to hear that you know yeah so that's awesome that took a turn from the monster but yeah it's it's a great <laughs> show i love yeah. it yeah I love stuff like that, that like really is kind of like a slow reveal or a slow burn of the monster. Like it, I feel like takes the opposite approach and it's just like in your face constantly to the point where (laughs) almost by the end of the movie, it's like comedic. Like when he's doing the little dance, it's like terrifying, but also kind of funny in the way that he's (laughs) doing it. And he's a clown. So, I mean, it kind of plays into it. But um, yeah, Yeah. like signs, I remember just being so creeped out by it. And just Mm -hmm. like the little glimpses you get of the aliens just walking by at the birthday party or something. That was the scariest shit ever as a kid. I guess. I was just like, (laughs) when I think about my relationship to horror and the things that have scared me, that birthday home video scene terrified me in a way that few (laughs) things have instant chills like oh (laughs) god Mm -hmm. um so wait dan so really quick so you're you're not much of a horror boy yes and (laughs) you've watched the it the recent it movies Mm -hmm. and how how was that experience for you um it was actually pretty good i mean like i said the first one in theaters i was kind of like through my fingers just like a little like Mm -hmm. I, I don't like the jump scare nature of horror yeah, movies. Yeah. Like I'm not like super creeped out by like the way things look on screen or anything, but it's it's really just like a very quiet moment to super loud. Like that'll get me. Yeah. Um, and so once I got over that and like realized like this is just going to happen in this movie, I, I <laughs> sat back and enjoyed it. Um, and since then, I've actually gotten into it a little bit more and actually watched the Ari Aster films <gasps> and. Oh, you're Those, ready. Like... You're ready for midnight. You're fucking. <laughs> okay, you're cool. there. You are yeah. fully. Anything Flanagan has done, if you can hang with Ari Aster and at yeah. least it part one, you are yeah. fully equipped. Totally. It's really not. Yeah. It's yeah. not crazy. It, it is way more scary than Midnight Mass. So, but you yeah. liked. So you've seen which Ari Aster film have you seen? Uh, I saw Hereditary and however you say it, Midsummer. Midsummer. Yeah, Midsummer. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, those are um, Yeah, way more intense. Yeah, dude, yeah. you're ready. You you <laughs> I like I I had to make sure I could watch them at home so I could control the volume. Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And watch it during sure. the day like <laughs> yeah. um like there are rules that I had to set for myself. I don't know if you guys have heard the podcast um Scaredy Cats Horror Show. Mm-hmm. It was done by the guys that do that used to do Reply All. Um but it was it's similar in that like one of the guys was like very scared of horror movies and the other guy wasn't and he like forced him to watch these films but he like That's set awesome. up these rules for himself where like he had to do it during the day um mm-hmm. he had to do it like you know in a light room with maybe another person around like things like that so like he's not like super <laughs> creeped out but then he did force him to watch it in the dark by himself for one of the R.E.S. movies nice nice but, yeah i i made yeah. the mistake of watching uh the birds by myself at like two in the morning. I don't know why I decided to do this. I think I just thought like, oh, it's like an older movie. I get like Hitchcock's great, but like it's not, not gonna freak scary. me out, yeah. dude. It freaked me out so hard. And I was watching it like this was like way back when I was like in my teens, and like 
I was, you know, my parents' house and no one was home. And <laughs> it's like TV right here, fireplace to the right. And if you've seen that movie, you know why the fireplace like might feel creepy. And I'm just like, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't remember many moments like that where it was as scary watching something, something about yeah. by yourself in the yeah. middle of the night that'll get you. Now, absolutely. You, you know, you would not be alone in being terrified by that movie. Um, Tippy Hedren was famously uh, terrified of the birds, and uh, yeah, yeah. it's such a good movie. I, you know, I don't, Dan. I don't know if you've seen the birds. I've never uh, seen it. So, uh, got it. I'll, I'll say this. No, he probably doesn't want to. <laughs> I'll watch it tonight <laughs> at two in the morning. Yeah. It's, it's, exactly. it's, dude. It's great. There's so many things where you're like, fuck. This guy was very much out of his time, pushing, yeah, pushing yeah. some things. Um, another. Hitchcock movie I always recommend, John, is 39 Steps. Really great. I don't even want to say any... Oh, it's so good. Anyways. Yeah. Um, okay. Birds. I'm going to say this. Birds walked. <laughs> birds walked so Alien and Aliens could run. Ooh. That's, Interesting. Especially if you think about the last 20 minutes of Birds. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, some... I've seen Alien and Aliens, but not Birds, so that makes me go to a certain place of yep. what like happens that. in the birds. Yep. There's yeah, yeah. Bird, well, I'm <laughs> I've not, never, birds never don't burst out of anybody's yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there is... That's awesome. I, I was thinking about the Aliens movies when I was watching Birds. I was yeah. like, huh. Um, we're monstrously <laughs> off topic. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but birds are also... No, I'm not going to go on my anti-bird rampage. Um, no, I'm, <laughs> birds are Birds fine. aren't real? Birds, no, they're not. Um, they're generated by 5G towers. and they, um, So, yeah, I, 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 uh, I think we've reached the, the end of our journey. Um, but, Dan, your journey's just beginning. Yes. I, I don't know why nice, I said that. Nice it My journey like into bread. horror. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm dude. I'm so stoked. Um, I, John, what's what's your relationship to horror? Like, have you? Yeah, I think well, the first ones that I saw were Nightmare on Elm Street and Chucky when I was like eight at like a sleepover, <laughs> and it kind of fucked me up a little bit for a while. Uh, but I think because of that, I like have always loved it. It's weird. It's like I remember what it felt like to like, you know, in like a living room with a bunch of my friends and like being probably the one kid that was like sleeping bag over my head <laughs> almost the whole time. And then shortly after that, I think we same like kind of situation. We watched The Lost Boys and it was just like probably eight or nine years old. And so I got freaked out really early on. Um, and I'm not like a crazy horror movie person in a way, like, uh, what's his name from the office that, uh, one dude who's like, (laughs) Gabe's super weird. I'm not like that, but like, I definitely, Oh, the character are like all about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking of John Krasinski because he did the quiet place movies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I never, Gabe, who's like weird about like how much he loves horror movies. Super creepy. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's, that's mine. My little horror backstory. Well, okay, we've really reached the end of our... Yeah. Dan, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us for this. This has been awesome and super interesting. Just to, I feel like this conversation uh, in some ways was a little bit different than the past because 
we were talking so much about the product. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's cool because it gives a lot of context for the concept of who stakeholders are, how diverse they are, how to work with them. Um, for sure. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing. It was awesome, man. Yeah, Great thanks for on. having me. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you, you, you're doing a rad thing. The, uh, you're, <laughs> you're helping tell the story of really fucking cool piece of technology. I, I cannot, I can't wait to see where smart tech goes. I, I just got a, uh, we'll see if it works. I, I got a, uh, a smart jacket. It's not really a smart jacket. It's a jacket. Is it like the Back to the, like back to the Future jacket? Yeah, yeah. Jacket that, that has heating elements in it. Um, so it is. So <laughs> it's, it is back it, to the future. It's made with uh, graphene. Um, so it's like it's water resistant. It's technically knife resistant. Um, has a lot of pockets. <laughs> wow. You'll be um, knife resistant? <laughs> it's, it's so the reason why they say that it's designed. everything okay in Santa Cruz right now? Did you all right? <laughs> Dude, actually, uh, last week our house made right. catalytic converter got taken. Yeah. Uh, anyways, that's a whole thing. Uh, but yeah. so they say that. So if like you're hiking, um, it's not going to catch on a thorn and tear. Oh, so mm. it's thorn like resistant. It's maybe a way of explaining stick. that. But you're not going to say thorn and stick <laughs> resistant, bramble resistant. <laughs> it just kind of makes it sound pathetic somehow. You can roll uh, in the bushes and it's going to be fine. You're going <laughs> to go in the bushes all you want. Whenever Brian falls down the hill, he'll be all right. Which, which is I just a think lot. of uh, what's that movie? Hot Rod when he's just rolling down the hill for like ten minutes. <laughs> That's that actually amazing. That's, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> it's just how I navigate the world. Um, well, I'm, I think ending this episode on knife-resistant jackets is a yes. perfect way to go I, out. I hope it works, man. <laughs> I just want a little, a little, little buzz of heat when I'm going on my mm-hmm. evening strolls. Or it's like, am I going to just burst into flames like in the end scene in Midsommar? Like, <laughs> oh god. Just <laughs> fire. Does it look like a bear? <laughs> what you have? <laughs> what is? What does this look like? I'm so curious. It actually <laughs> looks like a. Um, it's it's really sick. I'll Dan, you're on Twitter, right? Yeah. Okay, I'll follow you on Twitter, and I and I will DM you this jacket. We'll continue wait. the conversation. Yeah. About uh, yeah. These amazing jackets on Twitter. Yeah. If anybody wants to join the conversation, it's it's <laughs> by Cloth Tech, y'all. I don't know. It's. It might not fucking work at all. <laughs> this could, but I'm what they call an early adopter. So, a guinea pig. A guinea pig. I don't know. <laughs> well, where Dan? Where can uh, where can people find you if they want to kind of see what you're up to? Uh, Brian just mentioned Twitter. Do you have like a portfolio or anything like that? Instagram. Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter at Dan Otis. Uh, Instagram the same handle. Um, I don't post on there nearly as much anymore. Um, but I, my, I just started redoing my portfolio um, using Webflow, which has been super interesting and like cool. It's really easy to kind of just like iterate and like you know mm-hmm. build as you go, which is super cool. Um, but it's uh, danotis.design. So I snagged awesome. a design URL. Sweet, cool, <laughs> very cool. I just, uh, I just gave. I think it was you. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, Aura. Yeah, I just followed you. Great, great. So everybody, go do the same. Um, all right. Well, (laughs) well, here we go. Season. This is our second season. You are first guest. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Thanks for doing it, man. Awesome. Appreciate it. Kicking it off. (laughs) Yeah. And hopefully we'll, we'll have you back on at some point again in the future. Yeah, man. I'd love that. 
It's great. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. All right. (laughs) Talk to you. Have a good weekend, man. Yeah, you too.